Well, in the last uh, 10 to 15 years or so, uh, you might have developed a habit, if you go out to the movies to watch a film, of staying right to the end of the credits instead of leaving immediately after the movie's finished. Now, why do we do that? Because we've learned now that a lot of movies will have extra segments right at the end of the, seg of the credits where they give you a teaser for another movie coming up. That's, and, so, and you might not even understand it if you don't stay to the end sometimes. So uh, that's why we do that. And I say this because we're getting um, definitely, as you know, into the Advent and Christmas season. And so we're soon going to divert from our journey. We've been looking at the whole Gospel of Luke this year. We're going to divert from that and go back to the Christmas story that Luke tells in the beginning. But today, our reading starts with what we might call a kind of post-credit sequence about what is to come and gives a preview of the Easter story, which we'll be looking at next year. So in Luke 18, 31 to 40, uh, 33, Jesus says, He took the twelve aside and told them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that's written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. So this is a fairly straightforward, uh, unambiguous prediction about the outcome of Jesus' ministry and what he was going to do. So he was going to die and he was going to rise from the dead. And that was the plan. That was what he came to do and it was the fulfilment, he says, of what the Old Testament prophets had been talking about. But we hear that the disciples don't understand what he was saying. In verse 34, Luke says, this meaning was hidden from them and they didn't know what he was talking about. Now, it's a really good question to ask when you read the Gospels is why the disciples of Jesus did not understand what he was talking about when he talked about his death. And this comes up a number of times in the Gospels. You would think that people who had given up their normal life to follow a teacher like Jesus and had spent day in and day out with him for several years would grasp the basics of his teaching. He didn't even try to hide this at all, that this is what he was about. But even right up to the end, we see they did not understand. And so why? You know, were they dim? Were they a bit stupid? No, they're normal people. They had normal intelligence. The real reason seems to be that they were, in some sense, blind to what Jesus was saying. It was so far beyond their preconceptions and understandings of what the Bible said, and their own tradition had said that they cannot grasp what he means. Now, this is something we understand from our own experience. Um, our awareness of what is actually going on in front of us and what it means can be partial at best. Now, I want to give you an example of this. I'm going to show you in a second a video. Now, this is an awareness test, and it's about how well we can follow what's going on in front of us. Now, if you've seen this one before, don't spoil it. So we're going to watch this for a second. I invite you to pay attention to the instructions that you're given as we watch this video. How many passes does the team in white make? The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? Watch it again. 
thank you. Thank you uh, for the team for finding that. Thank you. Okay. So it was worth it. So who, who actually saw the bear the first time? No one. So, oh, Adam. Well done. So good. So uh, you're very perceptive people, but we didn't see that. But when you see it again, it's quite, um, it's quite obvious, isn't it? Anyway, I certainly didn't see it the first time I saw that video. So anyway, so it's worth it, I think. Anyway, I didn't see it because I was blind to other things. I was looking for what they told me I should be looking for, which was counting uh, the number of passes and not actually looking for bears uh, <laughs> moonwalking. Like a driver, of course, they say. You missed, might miss a cyclist on the road if you're not paying attention. That's what the ad reminds us. So the point of that is, in the same way, the disciples of Jesus at the time were focused on their own ideas of the kingdom of God and the Messiah and what that would look like, and they weren't seeing what was in front of them. They were focused on their own political and religious hopes and their concerns. And they could not see or understand the message about a Messiah who was going to suffer and die, even when Jesus was right in front of them sharing it. You know, the moonwalking bear was not hiding what he was doing, but you didn't see it. Um, so the question is for them and for us, how can our eyes be opened to understand the truth of who Jesus is and what he did? And that's why I think the story of the blind man that's healed by Jesus is next up in the story. This uh, healing of the blind man is actually the last miracle that Jesus does in Luke's gospel before he goes into Jerusalem and goes to the cross. So it's possible that Luke is inviting us to consider how important sight is and our awareness of the truth before we read about the entire city of Jerusalem missing out on the point and rejecting the Messiah who was in front of them. So this story of the blind man, I think, is definitely worth reading and reflecting on more deeply. So what happens, as we heard, is that Jesus is walking towards Jericho, um, and this man is sitting beside the side of the road and begging. He obviously hears the crowd with Jesus, and he knows a bit about him, because when they tell him it's, it's Jesus of Nazareth passing by, he calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the leaders tell him to be quiet, and that seems actually quite similar to their attitude to children in the last reading we had last week, if you remember. But he calls out again, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops, and they bring him close to the man, and Jesus asks him what he wants. And of course, he says, I want to see. So Jesus heals him with a few words, and then he follows on after Jesus, praising God. I just want us to get in between some of those events then, to think, what does this mean? Why does this man get healed here? apart from, obviously, Jesus' compassion for suffering people. So Jesus says to him in our reading, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. So there's something within this man himself that is receptive and empowered for healing and to receive this experience of the kingdom of God. His faith, Jesus says, has opened him up to this. And I think it's entirely appropriate to say, even though this man was physically blind, Jesus is saying he has a real spiritual sight. He could see and understand what the disciples themselves couldn't. And this is shown, I think, by his prayer to Jesus. It's a fascinating prayer in a short phrase. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. If you look at this particular prayer very, um, a bit more closely, there are two parts to it. Son of David and have mercy on me. And I think if you take these two ideas together, they're almost a complete gospel prayer. They're a prayer that's filled with a sense of the good news of Jesus. So firstly, we see the blind man calls out to Jesus as the son of David. 
Now, you might know this is obviously a reference to King David in the Old Testament. And this title, Son of David, is what we might call a messianic title. It's the title of the person who was going to be the true king of God's people, Son of David. We've talked a lot about the idea of the Messiah early on in the year and what the significance of that was. If we look back at the Old Testament, for instance, in 2 Samuel, verse 7, 11 to 14, we hear a promise that the Lord gave to King David about his descendants. It says in that reading, The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. So the son of David is this promised king that God has said will come. And in some sense he says he will be his son too, the son of God. So that's what I mean when I say to call Jesus the son of David. It's the title of a Messiah, the presence of God. And of course early in the gospel in chapter 3, Luke goes through Jesus's genealogy and that includes King David himself. He's saying he is part of this line of promise and that's why he was born at Bethlehem in King David's city as well so the blind man looks at Jesus with the eyes of his heart and he sees the Messiah son of David the presence of God and his kingdom right in front of him and he calls out in hope and faith for for the healing and salvation to come through the Messiah and from our perspective as Christians this is an acknowledgement of what we call the incarnation which is the idea that God has come in the form of a human being a human person into our world and that's of course that's the christmas message and we sung about it earlier in hark the herald angels sing we say we say veiled in flesh the godhead see hail the incarnate deity and the blind man with his son of david call is actually hailing the incarnate deity it's walking past on the right and what does he ask for then so son of david he says have mercy on me that's the second part of the prayer have mercy on me i think this is what we might call a holistic request for god's grace so mercy what does it mean to have mercy from god could be healing could be forgiveness a request for justice hope eternal life everything that the kingdom of god offers it's actually a call of faith in the gospel have mercy on me But of course, specifically, what does he want? Well, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? What mercy do you want? He says, Lord, I want to see. This is one of the more poignant phrases in the gospel. Lord, I want to see. Such a simple request, but as we know, it can be answered in a deep way, and it means so much to him. And it is answered. Jesus heals him. His sight is restored. But I think also his spiritual sight was confirmed and he can now follow Jesus. We're here, he can praise God. He can see the kingdom at work. He, he has got that prayer answered, he can see. And I think after this, he would have no trouble getting to the heart of what Jesus' death and resurrection meant. Why did the son of David have to die for his people? So they could receive his mercy and his healing. As Jesus said at the beginning of this passage, the prophets of the Old Testament did predict this event. For instance, in Isaiah 53... Verses 4 to 5, 
Isaiah speaks about what we call the suffering servant, this idea of the Messiah who was going to come and suffer on behalf of his people to heal them. So Isaiah says here of this suffering servant, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed." The son of David, have mercy on us. So I think this story has an application for us today in terms of the question, you know, so how do we see the kingdom of God at work? How do we see who Jesus is? The problem of the disciples show that this is not a simple question. It's not a matter of physical sight. It's not a matter of our mental sharpness. You're all very intelligent people, and I, don't, I think only one of you could see the moonwalking bear uh, right in front of you in that video. <laughs> We can, we, can have, we can have all the intelligence we need and we can still miss the presence of God right in front of us because we're not looking for it. Like the disciples, we may have preconceptions about what the kingdom of God might look like if it were to appear in front of us. Like them, we might look for obvious signs of success. We might look for growth in Christian churches and organisations. We might look for spiritual signs and wonders in very obvious ways to confirm the kingdom is around us. But Luke reminds us that the reality of the kingdom of God is actually hidden fundamentally from the eyes that can't see. And it's more obvious in Jesus' crucifixion, he says, and his suffering than it is in the obvious manifestations of power that we, that we think um, are God's kingdom among us. So God's presence is hidden within the human nature of Jesus, the son of David. But even a blind man, though, can see it if he has the spiritual sight, if he's looking in the right way. And so the prayer of the blind man, I think, is a good one for us to take up ourselves then because it's a recognition that we need mercy. We want God to come in our midst. We're looking for the son of David to come to have mercy on us. So I encourage you to imitate him today, the blind man. I'm going to ask us, as I finish this reflection, to spend a minute just praying in our hearts together the prayer of the blind man quietly in the same and openness of spirit that he did before we go on to sing our next song. So I just spend a minute doing that. I'm going to, it's, it's going to be up on the screen, and I invite you just for a minute, quietly, in silence, to repeat this prayer in your heart. As the blind man did, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So let's just give ourselves to that prayer for a moment. So we pray, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Amen.